Wow. Church, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling the weight right now. And yeah, I just really had a sense, particularly while Caroline was praying for all of us at this time, that God is declaring loudly that he is with us. He is with you. You are not alone. Wow, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you promise never to leave us or forsake us. That you are with us every step of every day, every moment of every day. You never leave us. You are always right alongside us. And while we might not always be aware of it, that is the truth. You are with us. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Hallelujah. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to try and preach now, but um, God knows what he's doing. So he's going to help me through this, I'm sure. We are, as Phil said, uh, starting a new series today, which I'm really excited about. We are going to be going through the Gospel of Mark. Hopefully that's not news to those of you who are regularly part of KCC. We've been uh, telling you about it and hopefully you've got yourself prepared. We challenge you to read the Gospel all the way through in its entirety, all 16 chapters, or to listen to it. You can still do that. It's not too late. You're just going to hear a little bit of the first few verses unpacked before you get an opportunity to do the whole gospel if you haven't read it already. But that's what we're going to be working through. And that's going to take us up to Easter, looking at uh, the person of Jesus, what he did, what he said. Jesus is to be the main event and the main person in our lives always. He's called us this year to be look afresh at being Jesus-centred and Jesus-sent. So that's what we're doing as we enter into this series, diving into the Gospel of Mark. Our series title is Jesus, He's the One. And the Gospel of Mark was written to proclaim Jesus. So I'm not going to spend a long time talking about Mark, but I thought it'd be useful just to give you a little bit of background about the person uh, and the Gospel of Mark. So Mark, um, it's widely believed the book of Mark that you'll find in the New Testament just after Matthew, one of the four Gospels. I believe it was written by John Mark, uh, who was Barnabas's um, uh, nephew and travelled with Barnabas uh, for some of the time. He was also a companion of Paul and of Peter. And um, he's not mentioned in any of the Gospels, although possibly he is anonymously uh, mentioned as the young man who fled naked from Gethsemane. You'll find that in Mark's Gospel, Mark 14, verse 51. It talks about uh, a young man fleeing from uh, the scene in Gethsemane when Jesus is being arrested. Uh, so it, it's suspected this was Mark who wrote the Gospel. It's very much uh, full of eyewitness detail and it's believed to be really Peter's account of his encounters with Jesus and his life with Jesus. Because Mark spent so much time with Peter, it's believed that Mark uh, wrote down what Peter told him, the stories and, and the teachings of Jesus. And uh, the details that come through give that feel of very much, it's, it's Peter's recount, it's Peter's words, even to the point of 
Peter's not presented in a very flattering light in Mark. Some of the other Gospels talk about some of the good things about Mark, but Mark, uh, uh, Peter, but Mark doesn't really mention that as if it's Peter himself speaking. And obviously there are close links, particularly with uh, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Uh, Mark's Gospel is believed to be the earliest of the four Gospels. The style, for those of you who've read it, you'll know it's packed full. It's like a concentrated, condensed down, whistle-stop tour of Jesus's uh, ministry. And we'll see that right from today as we dive in, into these first few verses. In fact, he covers, Mark covers in the first 13 verses, what we're looking at today, what Matthew takes 76 verses to get to, and Luke 182 verses. So that's just how concentrated uh, Mark's gospel is. The ESV study Bible says that Mark's gospel is a little bit like a docudrama, that it has got noteworthy clips uh, of some of the events that were going on, speeches and dialogues, just snatches of them, as well as commentary by the narrator. Phil Moore in his book, Straight to the Heart of Mark, says this about Mark's gospel. He says, Mark may be the shortest of the four New Testament gospels, New Testament gospels, but it also by far the most intense. Mark is like the driver of a Formula One racing car. He puts his foot to the floor in the very first verse and he doesn't let up the pace until he brings it to its sudden surprise ending. Mark's gospel is a breathless succession of exhilarating highs and lows because that is precisely how it felt to be one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Mark wants us to experience what it was like for Peter and his friends when Jesus called them to leave their old lives behind and step into his story. Each week we're going to be considering uh, the one who dot dot dot. A bit like uh, reminiscent of the Friends episodes. Those of you who've ever watched Friends, you'll know that every episode is entitled The One, dot, dot, dot. Well, that is how we've titled this series, The One. But we're not talking about episodes of Friends. We're talking about The One, Jesus. And today we are considering The One Who Comes as we look at the opening verses of Mark. So we're going to dive in now and take a look at this action-packed, concentrated account of Jesus. Mark 1, starting at verse 1, says this, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Right at the outset, Mark tells us what his gospel is about. First of all, it's the good news. In the Old Testament, good news was connected with how God intervened to save and help his people. And Mark is, is saying this is what it's about. It's God still acting, still stepping in to help his people. Mark uses the word, uh, the Greek word evangelion, which was used by Roman emperors to declare that they were coming. They had good news for the world. But Mark uses that to apply to Jesus saying that Peter and his friends considered this to be the ultimate good news. And it's the good news about Jesus. Jesus, his very name means God saves. Jesus, the Messiah or the Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, that simply means the anointed one. Jesus, 
was the anointed one, the one who the spirit came to rest upon, to bring the kingdom of God, to bring healing, to bring freedom, to bring release, to declare God's rule and reign. And he was the son of God, not just anyone, but he was God's very son, only son. You know, Mark communicates this phrase, son of God, right at the beginning of his gospel so that we're in no doubt who he's talking about. And it, it comes to the near the end of the gospel as well as the centurion, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, the centurion declares, surely this must be the son of God. It's like it's bookends to Mark's gospel. Jesus is the son of God. And then Mark uses the rest of his gospel to unpack this wonderful good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. So he then goes on, having started with Jesus, Mark seems to drift off with prophecies about someone else. Verse two and three, they say this, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. What we've got going on here is Mark is making a link back to the Old Testament, to the prophets that the Jewish nation had uh, grown up. The, the Jews around Jesus had grown up knowing these prophetic words. And we've got uh, him quoting from Malachi 3.1, uh, which was the very last book of the Bible, uh, the New Old Testament, the, the prophet Malachi. But you've also got um, the the longest prophetic book being quoted, which is Isaiah. And he's making that link. What has been spoken about in the past is now coming to take place. We might be getting confused at this point. Well, who's going to be the main focus, especially as we go into the next few verses? Verse four to six say, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Israel went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the River Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. So having started in verse one saying Jesus, he's now talking about John the Baptist. What's going on here? Well, John the Baptist was the son of Zechariah, a priest, and Elizabeth, who was Mary's relative, Mary being Jesus's mother. And he was someone who, well, on the uh, kind of to our ears, it sounds like he dressed in a very strange way and had a very odd diet. Um, but actually what he was wearing was very typical of the prophets that had gone before, the very prophets that Mark was quoting earlier. And he was proclaiming a message that was very familiar to uh, the Jews at the time and a similar message that had gone before from these pro uh, prophets in the past that they were to repent of their sin and so they could be forgiven by God of those sins and baptism was seen as a sign of that repentance so that in itself wasn't a new message that John the Baptist was bringing but what was new was that these ritual washings had been mainly seen for Gentiles wanting to join. So non-Jews wanting to join the Jewish community. But what John was, was declaring was baptism was for everyone, Jew or Gentile, as a sign 
of them turning to God. So he then, and this is where Mark helps us to see that Jesus is coming through. John turns his attention to talking about Jesus. And he says this in verse seven and eight. After this was, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This was something new. He was declaring that someone greater than himself was coming. Someone who uh, would truly transform their lives. John was baptizing with water, but Jesus was going to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Renew their hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. John was an amazing man of God, but he was only the warm-up act for the one. John makes it clear he is not the main character. He knew his position and status compared to Jesus. So having declared this, Mark, having presented this information about John the Baptist, he then directs us back to the main man, the one who it's all about. And we get now in verse 9 to 11, an amazing thing. Jesus appears on the scene. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. There's no birth story in Mark. You'll get that in Matthew and in Luke. But in Mark, boom, straight in, Jesus is already a grown man and he appears on the scene. The one who John had been talking about arrives and he is baptised by John in the Jordan. Note here you've got all three persons of the Trinity, all three persons of the Godhead appearing in this scene, Spirit, Father, Son. And it links back to that opening verse that Mark started with. He started by saying the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We've got the Spirit descending on Jesus as he came up out of the water. The Spirit descended on him like a dove, anointing him. Remember, the word Messiah means anointed one. So Jesus was anointed. He was filled with the spirit for what he was then going to go and do, his public ministry, proclaiming and bringing the kingdom of God. God, the father, what does he do? Well, he declares these incredible words. What wonderful words of affirmation the father declares over the son. You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. I love the translation Tom Wright gives of it. He says, you are my wonderful son. You make me very glad. Bill Moore, uh, talking about this part of Mark's gospel, says this. When Jesus obeys John's call to be baptised, something happened that set him apart from the crowds of people who were baptised with him. The divine voice rang out from heaven and proclaimed that the carpenter from Nazareth was, in fact, God's own son. 
when the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form and anointed him to begin his public ministry, God the Father, Son and Spirit testified together with one clear voice to the Jewish nation that the Messiah had finally come. Such incredible words of affirmation. And you know what? That de declaration came before Jesus had really done anything, certainly in terms of public ministry. It wasn't like he'd worked really hard and then God says, you're my good son. I love you. He's declaring it before Jesus starts all of this. It's not dependent on the works that Jesus had done. God just declares it over him. God the Father declares it over him. And I, I don't believe this was a once in a lifetime declaration that God the Father gave over God the Son. I, I'm pretty sure that God the Father was regularly reassuring Jesus that he was his son throughout his ministry. Jesus ministered from a place of sonship rather than to earn his place as a son. This is where it gets really exciting. That is true for us too. We, if we are followers of Jesus, we are caught up in him. God declares the same thing over you and me. We too can hear the Father say, you are my child. You are the one whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Whatever situation you are in right now, whatever you're facing, you know, if you're stuck at home shielding, if you're having to look after children and work at the same time, if you're going into workplaces and encountering difficult situations, like if you're working in the NHS or in shops or, you know, facing real worry, if you have concerns over finances, if you're, if you're, faithfully serving God and thinking but no one's noticing or you're getting backlash the father says over you you are my child whom I love I am well pleased with you this is the amazing truth of the gospel this is what Jesus came to begin the outworking of the pouring out of that we now live in the good of Jesus goes from this moment and he faces temptation in the wilderness. This is what we get in the last few verses of what we're looking at today. Verse 12 to 13 it says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. That's the enemy or adversary. That's what his name means, the enemy. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. You know, we don't get a lot of details of what that looked like in Mark. You have to look to other Gospels like Matthew and Luke that give fuller accounts. But what we do know here is that Jesus came through that event. He was seen through it. And the angels attended to him. Tom Wright says that angels attended to Jesus, not to keep him from being tested by Satan, but to assure him that his beloved father was watching over him was there with him, was loving him, acting through him, pouring out his spirit all the time in and through him. Jesus went the way that all his people must go 
And he could do it because he had heard the words of love, the words of life. For you, you might feel like you are facing battles at the moment. There is a weariness over many of us at this time. Be reminded that you are loved by the Father. And just like Jesus was reassured in the wilderness and many, many times after that, I'm sure, be reminded that your beloved Father, Father God, is watching over you. He's there with you. He's loving you, acting through you, pouring out his spirit all the time in and through you. So as we dive into Mark, this fast paced, action packed gospel, we are told Jesus, Messiah, son of God, has come. The one whom Father God declares, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased because he is Messiah and son of God. He makes it possible through his death and resurrection for us all to hear. Father God declares over us, you are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Hear that afresh today. Before you go and do anything for him, know that truth. And church, we're just at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Are you ready for what's ahead?